Hello, everybody. It is Tim Long, one half of Horror Movie Yearbook, the podcast that still exists. Uh, once again, apologies to anyone who was looking forward to our episode on Hellraiser and Smile and Werewolf by Night, but it didn't record for whatever reason. I think I fixed the issue. I think it was a uh, SD card issue, I'm hoping, at least. So we should be back next week or this coming week, depending on when you're listening to this, to talk about Halloween Ends, which has been quite the conversation already. And I'll probably touch on it a little bit later. I have watched it. Quick update then. I should give a quick update on the stuff that we talked about because I like to keep track of my own things. If you don't know what this is, this is the honor roll. I am Tim. I do this kind of on my own. This is kind of just a bonus thing that is available early for our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet. This is available early. What it is, I watch five horror movies and a lot of the, a lot of times it's stuff, international stuff, stuff off the beaten path, stuff I watch on Shudder. I watch five of them and then every episode I talk about them. And the ones I really like, I put on what I call my honor roll, which is just a way for me to keep track of the movies that I really like that I will base my top 10. These are the movies I will pull my top 10 from my top 10 list at the end of the year from. So that's what we do here. But just just an update. I'm not counting Werewolf by Night. Uh, It's not a feature length movie. It is more of a special presentation. I did like it a lot, though. Smile. I had a lot of fun with. I'm not going to put it on the honor roll. Hellraiser, I was slightly disappointed in. And we may touch on Smile and Hellraiser a little bit more. More likely Hellraiser and Werewolf by Night when we do talk about Halloween ends. But I was a little bit disappointed in the new Hellraiser, honestly. And I can sum up my feelings in three words. Not horny enough. So none of those made the honor roll for me. I like them well enough, but not enough to, I can't see any of them making my top 10 list at the end of the year, but there are a couple, there are a few movies on this episode that might make it on my top 10 list at the end of the year. So let's get started. Let's start with one that's not going to make my top 10 list at the end of the year. And that is Rob Zombie's The Munsters. This is a reboot of the monsters that followed a that follows a family of monsters who moves from Transylvania to an American suburb. Yeah, that is a basic IMDb synopsis, and it sums up enough of the movie. This okay, so this is where I will probably touch on a little bit on Halloween ends and the reaction to it because it's similar to this, just on a lesser scale, I think, with the monsters. So this is the internet now, and this is the way people. This is the way a lot of horror fans on the internet act. Social media, I should say, because the internet is just a huge thing. Social media is a huge thing. I'm specifically talking about Twitter, honestly. Uh, So a movie comes out, it's divisive. The initial reviews break one way, or the initial reaction to a trailer breaks one way. For example, in the case of The Munsters, negative. People had a negative reaction to the trailer. I had a negative reaction to the trailer because the trailer looked really cheap. Uh, I don't think it did a good job of selling the movie. It looked like like uh, 90s, early to mid 90s full moon cheap is what it looked like to me. So what happens is there's a negative reaction to something and then the other side begins to form 
and they go way overboard in their opinions defending the movie. Um, so outcome like the Rob Zombie is an Artur, Artur folks. And yes, I am actually one of those, um, but screaming about how we all need to let Rob do his thing. And I agree, but I also wished, wish that he would do something a little bit more focused than what he did with the monsters. A movie I didn't hate, by the way. Um, and this isn't just limited to movies, this kind of back and forth online, but it's very similar to what happened with Halloween Ends. Anyway, my history with the monsters. Uh, it was a show I watched as a kid. It was on like local TV. Uh, that's pretty much it. I don't have any affinity. I don't have any strong feelings toward the monsters. I think it was on like Naked Night for a while too, with like Welcome Back Cotter and like Mork and Mindy. I'm shocked. There, there was no uh, references to Mark and Mindy in this movie. It seems like right up Rob's alley. Anyway, uh, I like the show. Uh, what's what's my man's name? Uh, it's like the little guy. Uh, he's not in this one, I think. Eddie Munster. But there's Herman Munster, Lily Munster. Yeah, I liked Herman Munster. There's Fred Gwynn. Good stuff. Honestly, I don't. I like I said, I don't hold the show with uh, in any sort of reverence. Uh, Rob can do whatever he wants with this uh, for me. I don't care. Um, but he seems Rob is a big fan. I actually just watched House of House of a Thousand Corpses, and there are there's a monster a reference in that. It's specifically Dracula, which of course was a Rob Zombie uh, song based on the drag racing car that. Herman had, I believe, or maybe it was Eddie. I don't know. I don't believe this is mean. Anyway, I didn't hate this movie. Um, it is Rob's like it's it's Rob Zombie's most romantic movie. It's almost it's trying to be a romantic comedy. I believe it's his only non R rated R movie. It's his only romantic comedy movie. I believe. Uh, I think this is probably actually. I don't believe that. I know that. Um, I've seen all of Rob's work. I this falls on the lower end of Rob's work for me. I think this is probably as close as we're going to get to to a Rob Zombie romantic comedy. I guess it I guess it also depends on how deep deeply you want to read into uh Halloween 2. But this one, The Monsters feels like a love letter to his wife, specifically Sherry Moon Zombie. It's very sweet, it's old-fashioned, it's almost corny. Uh, it's almost a corny movie about two monsters, two outsiders falling in love. And that's the stuff that I actually really dug about this. There is a sweetness to it. Uh, zombies' influences are all over this movie. Early horror, especially, kind of early horror movies. Uh, zombie is not shy, and he never has been, with putting his influences on screen. Um, this one is basically Rob Zombie spot and influence, like a lot of his movies are, and I, I find those fun. But you get, in this one, you get, for example, you get old German expressionistic horror. You get old universal horror, the classic monsters. You get some screwball comedy in here, kind of like the Marx Brothers. You get some sitcom-y stuff. Musically, we get some Sonny and Cher, which is very much alongside Rob's taste in kind of 60s and 70s music. There is something charmingly old-fashioned about Rob Zombie's influences. In a world where we tend to get a lot of the same callbacks in movies, a lot of like, I I don't know, like Dawn of the Dead, Romero stuff, whatever. And I like those too, but there's something refreshing about Zombie calling back to Bela Lugosi or like Son of Frankenstein or Elvira showing up as Cassandra Peterson. I really dig that stuff, but I am also super, uh, like I'm getting pretty old. I'm not as old as Rob though. But anyway, um, no offense to Rob. There's nothing wrong with being old. Um, Anyway, I'm very excited for his next movie when he starts, like, referencing, like, Fatty Arbuckle and the Smothers Brothers. Really, really excited for that. I'm surprised he hasn't yet. He probably has. Anyway, I mentioned up at the top, it looks cheap. And I still think it does look 
pretty cheap even watching the movie, but it's also pretty vibrant. But this is kind of where we're, I'm going to get into the negative. I've talked a little bit about what I liked about the monsters. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that Rob Zombie's visual aesthetic doesn't mess well with like digital or streaming or whatever it is. But yeah, it, it could be the costumes even. This should have been black and white is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> even maybe post-converted. I hate to say that like Werewolf by Night because even that worked a little bit better, even though I think it was post-converted. I know Giacchino wanted to shoot it in black and white. This would have worked. There are segments in black and white. This would have worked for me if it were fully in black and white, like the old TV show, like the old sitcom. I don't... Zombie, he's always attempting to keep things visually interesting. It's colorful. I guess here's the issue I have with that, though. The vibrancy and the energy of his visuals and the colors and everything, it doesn't match the rest of the movie, which kind of leads me with my main hang-up with the monsters, it's not very funny. And this is based on a, a comedy, a sitcom. Um, I can find Rob Zombie to be funny sometimes. I just watched House of a Thousand Corpses and the uh, the conversation between Captain Spaulding and my um, man from Scrooge, I can't remember his name right now, uh, about sticking Zach, Dr. Zayas up, up the butt, up the ass. <laughs> it's, it's funny. There are parts in all of his movies that I laugh out loud at. I think there are moments in this movie that are kind of funny, but I probably only laughed. I'm a pretty easy lay when it comes to comedy. I laugh quite a bit. I probably only laughed a handful of times. I think there are moments in all of Zombies movies, but I think they're more darkly comedic. I think he struggles to find his voice when it comes to screwball-style sitcom comedy. Um, I do think the actors, and I mean all of them here, are doing pretty good work. Uh, I like... uh, Sherry Muzambi, I think, has grown as a performer... Uh, Jeff Daniels, Jeff Daniel Phillips has kind of been called out for his role as Herman. I think he's good. I really liked Richard Brake in this one as Dr. Wolfgang. I thought he was tremendous. I think the performances are there. I just think the other issue with this is it's about an hour and 50 minutes and it dragged for me. Um, And a lot of that is due to the jokes not really landing for me. So if they land for you, that's great. I wish that this movie was just a was a bit tighter, a bit zippier. Um, The script just kind of meanders. There's no real form to it. It's just a blob of the story. And it's basically, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. It's not, this happens, so this happens, and so this happens. And there is a big difference there. It's very episodic in its structure, and it didn't work for me. I think, though, people looking who are Rob Zombie fans, looking for Rob just to do his own kind of weird thing, uh, that's here. And that's fine. And you might, I know some people got enjoyment out of it. I wish I got more enjoyment out of it. And I am a Rob Zombie fan, uh, but I would rank this toward the bottom of his filmography. I don't think it's the worst. I would probably put, I think I would probably put maybe that first Halloween. Well, there's interesting stuff in that first Halloween. I would put this actually, no, I put the monsters below that one too. Maybe I would. I three from hell needs a rewatch. I did not like that. 31. I actually kind of dug anyway. Uh, it's not, I'm not putting this on the honor roll. I didn't hate it. I didn't really like it. It was just kind of Rob trying and not completely connecting for me. All right. I want to do two movies now that I think are, related in the type of movie they are. Actually, I know they're related in the type of movies they are. They're kind of, they're found footage, 
live stream horror movies. The first one I want to talk about, though, is probably the more quote-unquote fun of the two, and that is uh, Deadstream. This is a found footage movie. It's, well, it's live stream horror, I guess we can call it, found footage still. Think of something similar in the vein to the Unfriended movies, Host, that came out on Shudder, that was kind of that Zoom horror movie that was uh, quite a bit of fun. This has a lot of those found footage trademarks, though, but with a couple of really fun modern twists on that subgenre. Like I said, I don't... It's technically found footage. I guess if you're finding the footage through a Google search or a YouTube search, or as they call it in this movie, a livid search, because I assume they YouTube is like, you got to pay a pretty penny to name drop them, I guess. I don't know. Or use it in your movie. But when I think of like found footage, I think of like finding footage in the woods, like a, like a camera or like a videotape or something. But once again, this is where I show my age. Anyway, this though has the clever conceit that the person that gives the person a reason to keep on filming. I know that's a hang up for a lot of people in found footage movie movies. It's not so much for me because even those old ones now that we've entered the kind of live stream, the social media age where everybody's trying to get rich being a vlogger, like people wouldn't keep filming everything right now. Um, so it always made sense to me. Uh, but this is, this has the conceit of it. It's a disgraced internet personality tries to win back his followers by live streaming himself at an abandoned haunted house. When he accidentally unleashes a vengeful spirit, his comeback event becomes a fight for his life. So he's streaming in a sense to gain more followers is what he's doing. And that, that works for me. That's enough for me. Honestly, just having a camera is enough for me. So this is similar. It's in the vein of a lot of found footage movies. And I think this is more of a feature than a bug for me. The main character is incredibly selfish in this movie and egotistical. This makes sense to me. I think that you have to be a bit narcissistic to film or maybe even record yourself doing anything. Um, there you go. This is written and directed by Joseph and Vanessa Winter. Joseph stars in the lead role as, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name. It's like Sam or something. Whatever. You don't need to know his name. Oh, wait. I've got it right in front of me. It is... Is it Sam Rudd? Sean Ruddy. There you go. Um, I think he's quite good as the... He's kind of the bumbling, self-absorbed vlogger is what he is. Who's that guy that, like, filmed himself and got in trouble? And the... Well, he went... Is it one of the Paul boys? He went to, like, the suicide force, right? Was that him? One of the Paul boys? Big time wrestler now? Uh, the neat twist, though... There's a couple neat twists that Deadstream ads that lampoons kind of vlogger specifically, but also does so utilizing a bit of like old school EC comics style morality. And when I think of horror morality, and I know EC comics was inspired by like the Bible, um, EC comics, stuff like tales from the crypt, they would use horror stories to kind of impart little old Testament style morality into their books. This movie does that in a way as well. I think it's probably more, this movie's in on the joke. It's got a playful kind of Raimi-esque torturing of the lead. It is well aware that this guy, this Sean Ruddy guy is a goofball and it doesn't let him off the hook. It beats him up and evil dead and drag me to hell. The evil dead movies and drag me to hell are the movies. And those main characters in those movies are the movies that ran through my head during this because of the way it treats its main character. And also, yeah, like I said, the EC comic style, he needs to, like, he's supposed to apologize. Deadstream does that well. The lead, t 
YouTuber or Livider, I guess is what you call him, because he's on this platform called Livid. He's Sean Ruddy. Um, he's driven by greed and gaining followers, and he won't apologize for that previously mentioned wrongdoing. I don't. I don't recall if we know what that is. Anyway, he gives one of those. Uh, those sorry if I offended anyone style apologies where he doesn't really apologize. He just basically says like, sorry if you're offended by what I did. So the journey for him is to get to the point where he actually apologizes like contritely. Um, he mentions monetization of his channel many times. He's, he's obsessed with the views and making money. He doesn't, he's not really doing this for any value beyond making money. And this movie kind of calls him out throughout the movie for that. Um, the other modern element that this movie tacks on, and it's more superficial, but nonetheless pretty effective, is the live stream comments. I just, this is mostly a ton of fun. There, there are people with misspellings. Uh, winging instead of whining is probably my favorite. There's people goofing on the live streamer, Sean, and making fun of him. They also, though, use it in some clever ways to up the scare factor with people sending in, like, pictures of what they see during the live stream to to him, um, commenting that there's something around the corner. It's, it was a really clever way to kind of integrate the live stream aspect. I mentioned the Evil Dead aspects quite a bit, the influences. They come to the forefront in the back half of the movie, but when they become apparent down the stretch, that's when they kind of clicked for me. I'm like, oh, that's what they're going for. Uh, I'm putting this on the honor roll. Deadstream, I'm putting on the honor roll. I really enjoy this. It's on Shudder now. Um, I should mention that, yeah, Rob Zombie's movie is on, uh, The Monsters is on Netflix. But this is on Shudder now. I think it's probably on VOD for rental if you don't want another subscription service and who can blame you at this point. I think this is a fun, really fun kind of found footage Halloween watch, similar to like um, Ghost House LLC, I'll say, uh, in, in a similar boat. I am putting Deadstream on the honor roll. All right, we're going to talk about this next one, and I swear it just started snowing outside where I'm at. Middle of October, and I see snow, but it's fitting for the movie we're going to talk about next, which is We Are All Going to the World's Fair, which I watched on HBO Max, because I have all the... Some people live to work, some people work to live, and some people work so they can afford all of the streaming services. And that's the bucket I fall into. This is written and directed by Jane Schoenbrunn. And apologies if I butchered that. Alone in her attic bedroom, teenager Casey becomes immersed in an online role-playing horror game wherein she begins to document the changes that may or may not be happening to her. This was, yeah, this was released this year. I think it had some festival play. I'm counting it as 2022. Uh, this was released earlier this year. Um, so I'm just catching up with it now. I was going to do a bit. This is another live stream. So this kind of fits alongside Deadstream, but they're going for two very different tones. This one is, like I mentioned, when it's, I mentioned the snow, very cold, very kind of bleak, very kind of creepy. I was going to do a bit at the beginning of this segment where I did the World's Fair Challenge because that's what you have to do in this movie. It's kind of like a like an urban reg- legend style thing. I'm not super familiar with like creepypasta. I know of them, but an urban legend style creepypasta type thing where it's an online game that you enter by stating, I want to go to the world's fair three times on camera on your laptop camera, whatever. And 
pricking your finger to smear some blood on your computer screen, and then you see how your life changes in the ensuing weeks. So I was gonna, I was gonna do this, uh, but I don't want to prick my finger. <laughs> what the hell? Like I was gonna do the Candyman three times thing, and then check in in a couple weeks, see how things are going. I'm not pricking my finger. This is like, that's something you do at like the doctor or something. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm a grown adult. I don't have time for that. Um, another live stream horror movie. Yeah, very much different. Deathstream was going for comedy. I don't think I had a laugh in this except for one moment where I laughed because it was pretty pretty creepy. Um, most of this movie takes place on the main character Casey's laptop as she updates players on her condition after playing the game. She watches some of the other updates the people are going through. They have growth on their arm and all that. This is a found footage movie, though, where the budget really works to its advantage, I think. The same way the budget of something like Blair Witch, the Blair Witch, adds some authenticity to the proceedings. This isn't a traditional horror film. There are a couple of really effective and creepy moments. There's one moment in particular that I mentioned with a... I don't want to give too much away. This is a really hard movie to spoil, but there's one moment with a smile that kind of outdoes... And I like smile, but outdoes anything on the creep factor in the entire movie smile in about two seconds. That's what this is going for. It's going for creepy and trying to get under your skin. This is a, it, it's like an MMORPG game based on an urban legend. So it's kind of similar. What's a Netflix movie? Choose or die. Um, it's kind of funny. We just watch fear.com to see kind of the differences, but what this is going for, this is going more, this is kind of like vibe horror. And a lot of times I'm not into these style of movies. I will, I will state that up front. This one hooked me, though, and it did so because it kind of grew on me. But I remember, I'm this is the Tim is old uh, episode. But I remember a few nights, uh, kind of around the dawn of people having their internet, having internet in their homes. And that I was around for that. And I remember there being a few nights on a, when I was a kid, staying up late in the office of my parents' home and going down some, like, kind of, like dark paths, I would say not anything like crazy, but, um, and here's the thing when you are young and you're confronted with this sort of stuff and you're say with your, when you're with your friends. So like if you're in your friends, Oh, you know what? So maybe like traces, like faces of death is a good, if anybody remembers those old VHS tapes, like there is kind of a dare element when you are with your friends to kind of watch something that's like gross or dark or dangerous but you're with other people and there's there's a connection. There is kind of a, like a support group when you're doing that because a lot of it is kind of, there is kind of a, there's something fun to kind of that kind of danger. But when you're alone, it's much different when you're, when you're kind of confronted with the dark side of humanity. And I don't even remember like what I was looking at those nights, but I just remember the hollowness and the emptiness that kind of came along with like finding that stuff out at a younger age. Um, and that's the vibe of this movie. This is horror for the like kind of social media age. And I mentioned fear.com, but it's kind of funny to see how this has grown. Um, because fear.com is really, it's not a good movie. Um, and I'm not, this is much better than fear.com, but it's, this is a movie that kind of, that is lived. It features a character that has grown up with the internet and this is the horror that comes along with it the horror that we live in the amount of it's asking like the question is the amount of information that we have at the tips of our fingers and the type of information and the fact that we are looking 
at that information, a lot of the times locked away in these rooms by ourselves with like nobody talked to or just up late. Um, is that healthy? Not just for the individuals themselves, but for humanity as a whole. Um, that's the horror in this movie. That and what she really wants to do, Casey, the main character in this movie, she wants to connect. And that is something that at the beginning of the internet, we were kind of promised, but something that we have found to be kind of an empty promise when it comes to the internet. Um, when it comes to social media, we were told like you were going to connect with people around the world, but in a lot of ways we're more isolated than ever before. Casey tries to connect with another player in JLB, but because of what we've seen, it's hard to trust anyone that plays this game. That's the danger of social media. It's hard to really know anybody to begin with. And then you add in to, you add in the separation of a computer screen and it gets even harder. Um, it's also a coming of age horror movie. It's a coming-of-age movie. It's probably more of a coming-of-age movie than it is a horror movie in some ways, but it's about that transition from childhood into kind of adulthood. This is... I talked a little bit about some of my own coming-of-age around the dawn of the internet being available in people's home homes, but I also connected with that because in a lot of ways, that's kind of that kind of comes along, especially in our age today, uh, the transition into... A, it's, this is about the death of childhood this movie communicates that in a couple of different ways they show a video of a guy talking about how like lilo and stitch is his favorite movie it's something connected to his childhood and how the game affected that and then there's a scene as well where the main character falls asleep to an asmr video where a woman is talking in a very calming motherly tone comforting comforting her to go to sleep and it kind of shows you how she is still just a kid growing up is hard enough and when you're lonely and isolated, just like the setting in this movie, it's even tougher. And the setting is something I should talk about before moving on. It's lonely. It's isolated. The town, this takes place during, uh, around Christmas, around New Year's. I believe they show the ball dropping at some point. I believe the director there from Saugerties, New York. Um, but this is mostly set in Casey's bedroom. And we only see Casey's, we only hear Casey's dad we don't actually see him. The only other character we see is adult character we see is the main player. So it really goes to great lengths to show you how isolated she is. The director is from New York state and this is kind of a rural area. I wouldn't say a smaller town, but it looked a lot like the town I grew up in. Um, and that's another way I connected with it too. It's, it, it's, it's shot during the winter. The grass is kind of dead. The landscape is cold. There are chain restaurants off the main road, a ton of them. It all feels very cold. We're only, we only see her leave her room a couple of times. And one of them is to film a video in the woods alone. All of this really layers in that feeling of emptiness, that feeling of coldness that really, it kind of stuck with me for days after watching it. It's slow burn. Here's the thing. I don't have an issue with slow burn horror, if you want to call it that. Um, and I will, because I have it written down. But it needs to deliver. And I guess where this one left me a little bit, left a little bit short for me, is I didn't love the ending to this movie. Uh, I've spoiled enough here, and sorry. If I'm spoiling this movie for you. I think, there, like I said, I think this one's kind of unspoilable just because of the nature of it. It's purposefully ambiguous, and I get that. And it plays into the whole game itself and how... It's tough to trust what's real and what's fake, but eh, I wish I wish there uh, I wish there was a little bit more to it without giving too much away. Anyway, I don't want to 
focus too much on the negative here because I did like this movie. Um, and I was a little bit shocked because it, this m- movie is not normally my cup of tea, but maybe I'm, maybe we're all growing. Maybe I'm growing as well. I am putting this one. We're all going to the World's Fair on the honor roll. All right, let's knock out this uh, Dario Argento movie real quick. This is uh, Dark Glasses. I mean, that's kind of uh, how excited you should be for late era, later era Argento movies, like more recent Argento movies. I'll say this is not like the worst of his. Um, Anyway, Diana, a young woman who lost her sight, finds a guide in a Chinese boy named Chin. Together, they will track down a dangerous killer through the darkness of Italy. Written and directed by Dario Argento, with a screenplay helped by Franco Ferrini. Uh, I believe this has been, the script has been around, I think they wrote this like 10 years ago. Um, and now they're they're finally making it. Agia Argento is also in this. Directors are, um, they're like professional athletes in some ways. Let's, let's um, basketball just started. Pistons look all right last night, if that's, a, that's your thing. Um, pretty young. But I don't know what, the way the East is and... The play-in game. I think the Pistons got a shot. <laughs> anyway, uh, I sometimes just like to do that. LeBron James. Let's talk about LeBron James, for example. You watch LeBron. He still looks like LeBron. He plays like him. He he will he'll break out that step back jump shot every once in a while, like he did in his prime. He'll still throw down a dunk that is reminiscent of his younger days. He'll still drive the lane and take like fourteen steps without being called for a travel, just like he did when he was younger. He still yeah. When you watch him, though. You notice when he's traveling, he's a step slow, slower than he used to be. That step back shot, which never went in that much anyway, but it goes in even less. His dunks aren't quite as powerful as he used to. What I'm trying to say is he still looks like LeBron, but he's different. He's aging. His body is giving out on him a little more. It happens to all of us. Same thing happens to directors a lot of times. I mean, you can look at Argento's region output, recent output of like, Jalo and Drac was it is it Dracula 3D or Frankenstein 3D? What is what is the movie? I doesn't it matter. Um, I think it's Dracula 3D. I have to double check myself now because now I'm doubting myself. And there's nothing worse than when you doubt yourself. It is Dracula 3D. There you go. How about that? But he hasn't also hasn't made a lot. But Carpenter had a late period dip in quality with stuff like The Ward. Um, and um, Ghost of Mars. Romero did as well. Craven did as well. I actually think something like My Soul to Take is kind of a great example of what I'm talking about. I think a younger Craven may not have made a great movie with what he had for My Soul to Take in the script, but I think he would have really honed in on what on the interesting stuff, and I think there is in My Soul to Take, but as it is, it's kind of, it's kind of slow and rambling. Um, what you don't want to see is directors embarrassing themselves, and I'm thinking of like recent boxers, like I think like uh, Evander Holyfield or like Oscar De La Hoya stepped back in the ring recently. You don't want to see athletes or directors embarrassing themselves. You want to see enough of what was there in their prime still be there. Um, you also don't want to make something like The Ward either, where like there's nothing recognizable to these the director in their prime. Anyway, I think this does just enough in that sense, but like barely. Uh, this is on the higher end of recent output, if we're being honest. Um, it's not close to Prime Argento, but it was never going to be. I think there's enough there for fans to find it 
enjoyable, even if it is a stripped-down version of an Argento movie. It's probably, yeah, on the higher output of, of over the last 20 years as well. I don't know. I I don't even know if I've ever... I have not seen Dracula 3D. I think I've seen Jalo. <laughs> Jalo's like the... Yeah, that's like the, that's like the parody he made, right? Let's move forward here. <laughs> so, yeah. This is a Dark Glasses, though, is a very straightforward movie. Um, it's pretty basic, honestly. It's a little disappointing story-wise. It's a sex worker in danger movie, is what it is. She's a sex worker, the main character. And without giving away the t- twist in the movie, I think Argento is trying to say something about misogyny and even commenting on the types of movie he's made in the past. I just wouldn't say there is much meat on the bone here. It's, it's kind of in passing. Uh, the horror in this movie... There is some horror in this movie derived from women either working or just existing. The danger of being... Oh, like, there's a, a scene that kind of um, prompted me to think about some of the stories I've seen in the news lately about women going out in danger just jogging. And there's a scene like that in this movie. There are a couple of decent moments here as well. The opening is pretty good. Uh, the opening kill is pretty bloody. <laughs> Plenty of that good that good gore, um, that a good Italian blood. There is a terrifying scene with water snakes in this movie, but that might just be because I hate, because I hate snakes. I do think the score, it's kind of a pumping synth led score by Arnaud Rebotini. Great name, great Italian name. It works really well. It doesn't shy away from sex either. Like some modern horror tends to do. And Pastorelli as Diana is a pretty great Argento lead and honestly maybe one of the strongest of his leads in terms of character um how that stacks up I think if there is one real strength for Dark Glasses it's her it is the lead character in the performance um Argento women tend to be dominated by the happenings of the movie they are in Suspiria for example and I don't even mean that as a negative I'm just I'm not taking anything away from that performance or what's in the movie. That's just, it's different in this movie. That's not the case here. Diana is a woman who's overcoming her surroundings. And with the help of the relationship with the orphan who kind of aids her, I think that stuff is the strongest stuff in the movie. She's overcoming her blindness. Um, Unfortunately, though, while there are some positives to this one, it's pretty dull. Um, We see glimpses of the old Argento. And even some playful, playful moments, but like, it's pretty dull. It's a little too basic. Like I said, it's a little too stripped down for me. Uh, it's not on the honor roll. It is on Shutter though. All right, finally, significant other. This is on Paramount Plus. Now, this follows a young couple who take a remote backpacking trip through the Pacific Northwest and face sinister events, leading them to realize that everything about the place is not as it seems. This is uh, filmmaking duo Dan Burke and Robert Olson. They did a movie called, they did a couple movies called Villains and Body. And I have not seen either one of them, but I would, Robert Olson is the name. I Did I say that right? Anyway, uh, I have not seen either one of those. And I think I might go back and check them out after this bad boy. Because uh, be, they might be right up my alley. Maika Monroe, Jake Lacey. The always wonderful pair. Um, two very affable leaves. This is going to be a affable leads. This is going to be a very quick review. Because this is one of those movies that I do not want to spoil. So... The first 40 minutes, I was ready to call this, like, remember, remember, like, well, not, maybe not even remember, like, I don't know, I haven't been into a mall in a couple of years. They used to have American Eagle Outfitters, 
I don't know if they are still there. I mean, no, American American Outfitters are probably probably still around. I should, I should buy new clothes. Um, Eddie Bauer, like stuff like that, like clothes like that, like very like kind of like khaki and like flannel clothing and stuff. Um, but they used to like I was ready to call it like two leads that they're like the American Eagle Outfitters leads. But American Eagle, they used to have those like. Uh, then they used to have like those CDs. They used to like make mixtapes for it. They did. Okay, I'm googling right now. Um, they used to have CDs. Let me see if I can find what what some of the songs were on these. Oh yeah, like this one here. Like 2001 is probably one that I am uh, familiar with. Spring forward. So who do we got out here? Uh, nothing. They don't have a listing here. No, they don't have a track listing. Let's try this one. XL songs, a compilation CD. This is not going as I had hoped, <laughs> but they used to make these. Uh, they used to make these uh, master mix these mixtapes. Oh, here's one. Here's one. Um, I don't know anybody on this DJ Easy Trip. So that's like electronic. So I didn't never got into like house music and stuff. Um, but that one. So like, yeah, they used to make these mixtapes for you. I'm trying to find a good one here. Oh, the Shins. Yeah. So like, this one has like the Shins. New slang is on it. Um, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Beachwood Sparks, yeah, like, so there you go, that fits in with what I'm talking about here. I bet you, I bet you these two characters probably like the Shins a lot, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm beating around the bush here with my review because of what happens 40 minutes into this movie. That's where the twist occurs. Um, It was kind of boring until then. I was ready to blast this bad boy because I was so bored. And then the twist rocks, and then it doesn't stop. There's some great trash, trash. This in uh the new orphan, on Paramount Plus. That is where you, oh my god the snow's coming it down even harder. Um, but the question I have is like, is it better to make your movie if you're gonna throw in a twist as wacky as this one does, and as hilarious as this one is, is it better to make like the first half of your movie kind of boring, <laughs> so the twist hits better? Interesting philosophical question I pose. I'd say yes. Um, yeah, this is the best. Uh, well, I, this is the best shark movie I have seen all year. I'll leave it at that. There's some good shark stuff in this. This falls in line with some of the recent horror. I'm thinking like Nope, where humans deal with our having to deal with our place in the universe, um, and where things like love and marriage fit into things in the grand scheme of things. Um, I'll say that. This is. Uh, they play Dance With Me a lot, which is a good tune. I'm not going to review this any further because I think I've already kind of spoiled a little bit. This bad boy is absolutely on the honor roll. So three movies made the honor roll. Significant Other, which is on Paramount+. Plus. We're All Going to the World's Fair, which is on HBO Max. And Deadstream, which is on Shudder. Three movies that I quite liked, and I can see all of them making my top ten. But they all have a chance to. So there you go. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. This is a longer one because I haven't talked to you, fine folks, in a while. But I do appreciate you listening to this. I appreciate all of our listeners for sticking with us. And, yeah, um, stay safe out there. If you want stuff like this and the Midwest Game Nerds, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet. But once again, thank you everybody for listening. I will be back with Willie to talk about Halloween Ends, a movie that I need to watch a second time to see if I will put it on the honor roll because I'm on the fence right now, honestly. And I kind of liked it, but there's some stuff that I didn't like as well. Anyway, I will 
I'm going to see if Willie can convince me to put that bet, this bad boy on that honor roll because I know he liked it a little more than me, actually. So there we go. Thank you, everybody, and stay safe out there.